0: Hello, everyone. I'm bringing you something a little bit lighter today after last week's very heavy pair of Winterreise episodes. At the moment, I am super swamped with freelance work, which at least brings in a little money and allows me to continue with the podcast without having to worry too much about how I'm going to make ends meet. So once again, I'm going to encourage you, instead of donating to my Patreon page, to instead do something to help the people of Ukraine. Financially, situationally, spiritually, whatever you have in you, please do something. We can stop this madness. We've got to. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. Yes, yes, my dears, I mentioned I was going to give you something a little bit lighter today. I have been planning a big, month-long tribute to French singers. Well, I was just planning when things were going to be happening with the podcast, and it looks like that's not going to happen until May. But as a placeholder, I came up with this brilliant idea of doing a counterpart to the Verdi auf Deutsch episode. This, today, my friends, is Puccini en Francais. That was the glorious, but not nearly renowned enough, mezzo soprano turned soprano, Germaine Martinelli. She lived from 1887 to 1964. She studied literature without going to the conservatory, but among her voice teachers was the important baritone Jean Lassalle, who created numerous roles in operas by Massenet, Saint-Saëns, and others. In 1908, she married a man named Charles Martinet, who went under the stage name Charles Martinelli, hence her name, Germaine Martinelli, no relation to the very famous Italian Otello, Giovanni Martinelli. The majority of her singing career took place on the concert stage, I find here in a note to one of my recordings of hers. Her portly and unglamorous appearance confined her to the concert hall. Ay, ay, Anyway, you hear what a glorious voice it was. And now I'm going to present to you one of the other great French voices. I mean, we're going to hear a whole bunch of them today. But this next one is one of my very favorites. This is Georges Thiel. And here he is, singing Ne Pleure Pas you. AKA Non piangere Liu. is one of the few singers that we're going to hear more than one excerpt from today. I just think he is the bee's knees. He's one of my very favorite singers of all time. I'll never forget when I first discovered him on a CD that EMI put out in the mid to late 80s. His recording of the last act of Romeo in particular set me on my ear and made me a lifelong fan. So here's the structure for the episode today. I'm going to take us through three of the big Puccini operas, La Bohème, Madame Butterfly, and Tosca, or as she's known in French, La Tosca. I shall do extended scenes, for instance, the end of Act One of Bohme, the love duet from Butterfly, and various scenes from Tosca, and bring together portions of different performances by different singers, so that you get a full range of examples of these magnificent artists. There are so many quintessentially French singers, not all of them French by birth, but by certain vocal characteristics, many of them have all the earmarks of being quote unquote, French. But let's start off with two brief excerpts for tenor from Puccini's Mano Lescaut, which, in spite of its title, is really more of a tenor's opera. And therein lies the difference, I would say, between Massonet's opera and Puccini's. Well, one of the differences, anyway. Puccini himself said that his was not a French creation as much as it was an Italian one. There are two wonderful excerpts that I'm going to play for you right now. The first is by the tenor Georges Jouat. He lived from 1892 to 1969, and he's a very interesting figure for many different reasons. First of all, he began his career as a dancer at the Casino de Paris. Can't say that of every opera singer, can you? He began as a baritone, but made the shift to tenor in 1934. Following a career at both the Opéra de Paris and the Opéra Comique, he retired from his active singing career after the war to become a teacher. His students included Alain Fondary, Roger Soyer, Madi and Régine Crespin, And of the latter two, may I just say, there's a big Madi Mesplée episode coming up on Counter Melody in May. She wasn't really a Puccini singer, so we're not going to hear her today. As far as Régine goes, well, just hold tight, folks, because I've got some pretty fabulous Crespin to share with you toward the end of the episode. Meanwhile, here we have her teacher, Georges Jouat, Singing Ange, sirene ou femme, a.k.a. Donna non vidi mai. A number of the singers that we're going to hear today are of Corsican heritage. The first is the magnificent dramatic tenor Cesare Vezzani, who lived from 1888 to 1951. His voice teacher, Agnès Borgo, eventually became his wife, though they were only briefly married, and he had two subsequent marriages following their divorce. His is a powerful yet unsubtle voice, impressive, however, for its sheer power. But he's heard to his very best advantage in this recording of Ah, ne m'approchez pas, or Guardate pas pas, so oh,
1: la i
0: Now we are going to turn to the most French of Puccini's operas, La Boheme, or La Vide Boheme. Bohemian life, as it was most frequently referred to during the years when the opera was still performed in French translation. By the way, a few thoughts here about Puccini sung in French, especially in comparison with Verdi sung in German. On that episode that I did a few months back, we heard some magnificent singing, but never once, in my opinion did Verdi sound like he was a German composer. It merely sounded like singers with spectacular voices singing Italian opera in German. But I think when Puccini is performed in French, especially with singers with that quintessential tangy, nasal, vinegary French timbre that we associate with the French National School of Singing, we end up with music that is transformed into something sounding more like machiner. it really takes on the character of the language, I think. And we're going to really hear that in these examples here. First, I'm going to play for you the meet-cute scene between Mimi and Rodolphe, as he's known here in La Boheme. From the moment that Rodolphe's friends leave him and he stays behind to write that article that he just can't quite seem to get his shit together to write. And believe me, I know what that feels like. I bet you do too. As we know, there's a knock on his door and... His life is changed with that knock. So I'm doing this scene in four different segments, and we're going to hear six different singers, because there are two duet scenes. So in this first scene, we're going to hear a tenor called Enrico di Mazzei whose patrimony was Italian, but who was born in Bulgaria. He went on to sing primarily in France and French-speaking countries, and indeed, in this recording from 1928, he is, of course, singing in French. Who is he paired with? But that most quintessential of French singers, Lili Pons, whom we hardly think of as being a Puccini singer. What do we associate with Lili Pons? A small but very pretty voice, a somewhat shaky technique, great physical beauty. And extremely crafty marketing, career savvy out the wazoo. But in this, one of her very earliest recordings, we also hear that she was not only a singer of charm, but a singer of a little bit more substance than we sometimes think. I'm a big admirer of Lily Pons for a number of reasons, and perhaps this will act as a little bit of an introduction to a different side of Lily Pons. Here she is with Enrico di Mazzei in the first part of the Bohème duet
1: from Act 1 <speaking in Spanish> J'insiste, entrez. Vous souffrez vite. Non, non, rien. comme Comme l'épale.
2: Si des fagues, une échelle.
1: Mon Dieu, mon Dieu, que faire De l'eau dans ces très qu'elle angoisse ça passe un peu
2: oui. ce froid là vous glace
1: près du feu prenez place j'y pense un doigt de vin
2: Tenez Ceci
1: Merci good de gentillesse Maintenant
2: Thank ma chandelle et Thank you.
0: There are so many great recordings in French of Crusette de Manet Froide, Que da Manina, and I was really, really torn. There's a gorgeous recording by the Belgian tenor André Tarcor, which I'm not using, sorry. There's another one by the superb and mellifluously voiced Miguel Villabella, again, I'm not playing him. There's one by Alain Vanzo that's also gorgeous. We're going to hear him in a few minutes, so at least he will be represented today. But I really had no choice but to play Georges Thiel because his version is absolutely non-pareil. Now we are going to, of course, hear On m'appelle Mimi, chiamano Mi Mimi, and the singer I have chosen today to present to you in this aria is the delectable and vivid Ninon Vallin, who lived from 1886 to 1961 and was one of the most versatile classical singers of the 20th century. I think one of my listeners doesn't like her. Well, I have no idea why not, because she's always so... Present. Her imagination is so constantly and consistently engaged along with her voice, and you're going to hear that in this 1928 recording. Together, Valin and Georges Thiel made two of the most famous French opera recordings in the 1930s the abridged version of Charpentier's Louise and positively standard-setting recording of Massenet's Verter. In spite of this, the two evidently really couldn't stand each other, so for that reason, I must confess that it amuses me to juxtapose the two of these very, very great, but apparently incompatible singers back-to-back for all eternity. Now, of course, there's a gorgeous duet that ends Act 1 of Bohème. Again, I was hard-pressed to pick just the right pairing of singers. But I found a recording with Alain Vanceau, who I mentioned to you a few minutes ago, and the quintessentially French soprano René Doria. Alain Vanceau lived from 1928 to 2002, he was one of a handful of tenors in the mid-20th century who represented and epitomized French style. He was actually born in Monaco. His father was Mexican and his mother was French. In the 1970s in particular, his career gained greater international footing and he appeared on a number of really terrific recordings. This performance is from 1960, and as I mentioned, features the soprano René Doria, who, if you remember, if you're a regular counter-melody listener, died almost exactly a year ago, less than one month after her 100th birthday. She was, again, a very versatile singer. She made wonderful recordings of melodie, but also of a wide swath of operatic repertoire. From the Queen of the Night to Thaïs, here are these two magnificent singers in those final moments of Act One of Bohem.
2: O oh, douce jeune
1: fille, en joue déesse, en te voyant dans ces blanches clartés.
0: may surprise you, but I didn't find that many very good recordings of Musetta's waltz. Surprising, because Musette is such a French creation, isn't she? First of all, she creates herself. She embodies French élan and sass. I did finally find a recording that I thought, Represented all these qualities absolutely perfectly. That is by the French soprano Yvonne Brottier, who lived from 1889 to 1967. One of her most famous recordings is of excerpts of Debussy's Pelléas et Mélisande, but she was a wide ranging singer who sang in a number of premieres of works which are now mostly forgotten. But she did sing opposite, I think it's Georges Thiel, in a recording of Carmen, as Micaela, not as Carmen, and sang roles in operas by composers from Rameau to Richard Strauss. Here she is as a delicious musetta, d'un palégier. This recording is from 1928. Just two more excerpts from Bohème today. The first is by one of my favorite sopranos. Now, you see her name written out. It's Marte Angelici, but I don't know if the French pronounced it that way. Marta Angelici, I would guess. Like Vizzani, she was born in Corsica. But her family moved to Belgium when she was quite young, and that's where she made both her concert and her operatic debut. She was very popular at both the Opéra Comique and the Opéra de Paris, and made a fair number of recordings in the 1950s, including a complete recording of Les Pecheurs de Perles and of Carmen, both of those conducted by Andre Cliton, who in fact conducts this recording as well of La Chambre Qu'autrefois J'avais Quitté or Don Deliette à final bohème selection today, we have Alain Vinzeau, paired with the exceptional baritone Robert Massard, who was born in 1925 and, on August 15th, will turn 97 years old. He made a few recordings, but not nearly as many as his reputation and talent would have merited. He is the Escamillo in the Calas Carmen, and he also sings Valentin, um, the Joan Sutherland recording of Faust, but he did so much more as well, and he sang the world over with enormous taste and power. He's a magnificent singer, and here he is, opposite Alain François, in A Mimi Sonnet Allée, or A Mimi Tu Più Non Torni.
1: Sans étaler douce exilée, elle est partie et j'y pense sans cesse, Je ne puis m'expliquer le pourquoi. grève du pâturage ces yeux noirs que
0: to turn our attentions to Madame Butterfly. I'm going to start with the Act 1 love duet, but I'm going to give it to you in three distinct pieces with six different singers. We'll start with a portion that, in Italian, is Viene la sera, and in French is La nuit vient, calme et silencieuse. I could not resist giving you a little bit more Marte Angelici. And she is paired here with the tenor Albert Lance, who, interestingly, is not Albert Lance at all, but rather who was an Australian tenor born Lancelot Albert Ingram, who was known professionally as Lance Ingram when he began his career in Australia, and then made the move to Paris in the mid-1950s and changed his name to Albert Lance which, of course, in French is pronounced Albert Lance. He was known in particular for his marvelous performances of the big French tenor parts, but those of you who remember such things will also remember that when Callas made her debut at the Opéra de Paris in 1958, on that checkerboard stage, everybody remember, he appears offstage singing Manrico in Trovatore, and then is seen in the staged Act Two of Tosca, in which Callas and Tito Gobbi are featured. That's probably the biggest exposure that he ever had, but believe me, he was one of the finest French quote-unquote tenors there was. So here he is, paired with with that beautiful Corsican soprano, Marta Angelici in the beginning of the Butterfly duet. Maybe I should actually tell you the singers that we're going to hear and then just play the whole thing in sequence without interrupting. I think that makes sense, because it's really one great big long arc of a duet, and I don't want to break it up with a lot of talking. So the second part of the duet, beginning with the words... Fe aux grands yeux, or Bimba dagli piena di Malia, is sung here by Berthe Monmar, a superb Belgian soprano with a wide-ranging and versatile repertoire, and the French tenor Michel Sénéchal, who became much better known as a compramario tenor. But in this recording in 1963, he's singing a very creditable Pinkerton, in my opinion. Later, Seneschal was very well known as a voice teacher, and he died in April 2018 at the age of 91. Berthe Montmartre made her stage debut in 1949 as Santuzza, in Cavalleria Rusticana, went on to sing roles as widely varied as Elsa in Lohengrin, Zenta in Fliegende Holländer, the title role of Charpentier's Louise, Marguerite in Faust and Damnation of Faust, Judith in Bartok's Bluebeard's Castle, the mother in Dalla Piccolas Il Prigioniero, the female chorus in Britain's Rape of Lucretia the woman in Schönberg's Erwartung, Claire in Der Besuch der alten Dame of Gottfried von Einem, and many, many other parts. She also was a superb interpreter of Melodie, and there is a complete recording of Fauré's songs from the late 50s, I believe, in which she makes a very strong contribution. This particular recording was part of a series of opera excerpts in French translation that was done under the aegis of the Staatsoper in Stuttgart for Deutsche Grammophon Records. I cannot figure out what that's all about, but I'm grateful that these rather rare recordings exist. For the final part of the duet, beginning with the words, Vous êtes mon maître a Savoy, through to the very end, we are going to hear two little known singers who are absolutely frickin' magnificent. First is Michel Le Brie as Butterfly. She was born in 1935 and died at the age of 83 in 2018 and sang everything from the coloratura role of Eudoxie in La Juive to Madame Lidoine in Dialogues of the Carmelites, to Minnie in Fanciulla del West, to Lady Macbeth, to the title role in Kalman's operetta Die Chardash-Princessen. Opposite her in this 1971 recording is the French tenor Georges Liccioni. He is another of those extraordinary tenors of Corsican origin. He lived from 1932 until 2013. He began his career in 1963 as the duke in Rigoletto, and went on to sing the tenor roles in Faust, Romeo et Juliette, La Bohème, L'Acme, Vertier, and, of course, Butterfly. In 1971, he appeared as Julien at City Opera in Louise, opposite one of my favorites, Carol Neblet. He later assumed heavier roles such as Hoffman and Dick Johnson in Fanchule del West, and in the 1980s devoted himself increasingly to teaching. There is currently a voice competition based out of Angers, which bears his name. Let us now enjoy this entire duet in, as I say, three different segments.
1: D'azur, tu me sembles vêtu, et j'aime tes tresses plus brillantes.
0: Next, we have another singer from the south of France, Marthe Nespoulous, who lived from 1894 to 1962. She came to the attention of the head of the Paris Opera when she performed the Pie Jesu in Fauré's Requiem at the funeral of Sarah Bernhardt, and thereafter was immediately engaged by the opera. From what I read, she would often make guest appearances at other companies without the approval of the management of the opera, which led to a major dispute between the two of them and was directly responsible for her making the decision to simply abandon her singing career and devote herself to teaching in Bordeaux from 1947. Her most famous recording these days is no doubt like Ivan Brottier. A series of excerpts from Pellias that were recorded in the late 1920s. On the basis of her recorded legacy, she was an enormously powerful interpreter. There are so many good recordings out there of Sur la mer calmée, aka Un bel including by most of the sopranos that we've already heard today. But I chose Nespoulouse's version to give you a flavor of yet another magnificent French singer who today is virtually forgotten. Those very glamorous, long lived, extraordinarily versatile French sopranos in the same line as Rene Doriat. This is Georie Bouet, who, like Lili Pons, was as celebrated for her personal beauty and charisma as she was for her voice. She left a number of very significant recordings, including Thais. Antonia in Les Comtes Man and Marguerite in Faust, under the baton of Thomas Beecham. She was married to the baritone Roger Brutin, and appeared in a film on the life of Maria Malibran that was directed by Sacha Guitry. Her voice has that peculiarly acidic French timbre that I personally love. It was a very distinctive sound, and because it was such a distinctive sound, she was able to make her mark in roles that probably were much too big for her, including Butterfly. But I think her performance of Que Toi Madre, or Que ta mère, from 1962, is A very powerful one, indeed.
2: 狐狸 oh. oh, GAY okay.
0: had mentioned that recording of Comte Doffman, in which both René Doria and Jérôme Bouet appear as Olympia and Antonia, respectively. The tenor in that recording is one that we heard on one of my Canadian Singers episodes, Raoul Jobin. He was born in Quebec in 1906, and also died there in 1974 at the age of 67. But significant portions of his career were spent at both Met from 1940 to 1950 and in Paris, where he sang, among other things, the title role of Lohengrin and Walter in Meistersinger. I do think of him as being very much in the same line of singer as Georges Thiel, for example. And I am absolutely in love with his timbre. Now, mind you, that recording of Comte was one that I listened to assiduously from about the age of nine years. So it made its mark under my skin, that timbre, all of these marvelous French singers or in the case of Jobin, French-Canadian. We're going to move now to Tosca, and we're going to begin with Raoul Jobin's recording from 1948 of Recondit Harmonia, or Eau de beauté égale. <laughs> Of those astonishingly versatile French sopranos who was virtually ignored by the recording industry but was really a towering figure on the level of Crespin, if you ask me, who's coming up in just a few minutes. The person of whom I am speaking is Suzanne Saroca, who was born in April 1927 and who is still with us. Therefore, in just over a month, she is going to turn 95 years old. She sang the biggest dramatic soprano roles, Rezia in Oberon, Zenta in Flying Dutchman, Aida, but she also sang more lyric roles, such as the title role of Louise, Blanche in Dialogues of the Carmelites, as well as such Zwischenfach roles, if you will, as Santuzza, Charlotte in Werther, and Balkis in Gounod's rendez de Sabah. In an interview I found with her online from about ten years ago, she mentions how seeing Géaurie Bouet portraying Maria Malibran on the silver screen inspired her to become a singer. She was particularly celebrated for her Tosca, and in fact made two different recordings of excerpts in French. From the opera. I'm going to offer you just a very short excerpt from the earlier of those two recordings made in 1956. This is an excerpt from the Act I love duet. Notre doux nid caché dans la verdure, or Non la sospiri la nostra casetta. She is paired by another Corsican tenor. José Lucioni whom we will be encountering at greater length in just a few minutes. it's important that I also pay tribute to some of these conductors that have been leading the orchestras that we've been hearing today. Sometimes the orchestras were the orchestra of the Opéra Comique, or in this next case of the Opéra de Paris. Sometimes it was just a pickup orchestra that, if it had been in the United States, probably would have been called the Columbia Symphony, but just a few of the conductors we've been hearing. I'm just going to name them Georges Truc, Gustave Cloez, who has been heard on quite a few of these excerpts, Eugène Bigot, Erasmo Gilia, Andre Clitin, who also led that Hoffmann recording that I was talking about earlier, Albert Wolff, Ferdinand Leitner, who conducted the Butterfly from Stuttgart, Jean Claude Hertenmann, who's from a slightly later generation but is also well represented on records. And in this next excerpt, Manuel Rosenthal, who was, among other things, a composer who arranged the music of Offenbach for the Ballet Gaete Parisienne. He also conducted dialogues with the Carmelites at the Met. I happen to hear him. I can't remember what it was exactly. He might have just been speaking at a very advanced age when I was working in Paris in the early 2000s. Anyway, he's a really significant figure, as are the two singers that we're going to hear in this next excerpt from Tosca. This is... The moment when Scarpia and Tosca first come face-to-face in the church at the end of Act 1. The Tosca here is the soprano Jane Rhodes, Jane Rode, I suppose is how it would be pronounced in French. She's known for a few things. First of all, she was very much a Zwischenfach singer. She sang the role of Renata in the first recording of Prokofiev's Fiery Angel. She... Also sang the role of Zalome, for instance, as well as, as we're about to hear, Tosca. But she was also celebrated for her Carmen. In fact, that was probably her most famous role. She appeared very briefly in the United States on TV under the baton of Leonard Bernstein as Carmen, and I believe she also made a debut at the Met, again as Carmen. She lived from 1929 to 2011 and was married to the conductor Roberto Benzi. On the basis of this recording, she's also a really, really fiery singer and interpreter, and the voice seems like it's fully capable of handling the part of Tosca. Opposite her is one of my very favorite singers of any nationality, Gabrielle Bacchier, who two years ago now left us. and who is going to be featured on his very own episode in May. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I'm so excited to present his really insidious, slimy, insinuating, and very seductive, Scarpia. So often, Scarpia is portrayed as a heavy. But as with French singers interpreting the role of Mephistopheles, there is a different quality that can be brought out in parts like this. And Bacchier really is dedicated to mining those particular depths of not just depravity, but seductiveness. Tosca Divina a Touché Ma Main, or Tosca Divina La mano mia. The recordings from
1: 1960. Tosca Divina Touché Ma Ce que je sollicite, c'est l'honneur de vous offrir l'eau bénite. Seigneur, votre exemple à tous se pose de mon autre ciel par la prière. La majesté de l'art pur et sincère Qui sur la foi repose Une grâce La piété vous inspire Vous chantez sur la scène Et venez à l'église pour prier vie, les yeux, le visage. Et d'amour, oh, d'amour, la pure, la pure. Pêtre, est-ce ce l'équipage Un éventail, il là sur cette loge. On les amants, je présume. Que loiselle en fuyant perdit sa plume
0: Next, we're going to revisit that Corsican tenor whom we heard opposite Suzanne Sarroca a few minutes ago, José Lucioni. He lived from 1903 to 1978, another one of the very great French dramatic tenors. His recording of Samson, for instance, in Samson et Dalila is a classic. He was a startlingly handsome man who sang, again, a wide range of the biggest roles around the world, including at Covent Garden, Lyric Opera of Chicago, the Teatro Colón, as well as all the French houses. He studied with the tenors Léon David and Léon Escalais, both very important and, uh, dare I say, distinguished singers. He ranks very close, I think. This recording of Le Ciel Lusé d'Étoiles, or El Luce van was made in 1958. Again, I'm going to offer you a sequence of three discrete recordings which flow one into the other. Therefore, we shall go from José Lucioni's Le Ciel Lusé d'Étoiles directly into the following scene in which Tosca and Cavaradossi are reunited. Now it's time for us to hear just a little bit of Régine Crespin in one of her great roles. Tosca was always a bit of a stretch for her. The Tessitura was always just a tiny bit on the high side for her Falcon voice. But she always managed some magnificent moments. And for me, her greatest moment is when she narrates how she killed Scarpia. The high C that she sings here is really one of the most thrilling. Her partner here is the French tenor Paul Finel, who lived from 1924 to 2017. He sang many of the same roles that the other, bigger-voiced French tenors sang, including Hoffman, Vertier, José, Faust, Samson, but also, of course, Radamès, Otello, Manrico, Andrea Chenier, Lohengrin, and this, Cavaradossi. This is followed by a performance of Cavaradossi's O Dolci Mani, O Douce Mani, which is sung by one of the greatest lyric French tenors and one who was greatly celebrated, Joseph Rogachevsky. As you might guess from his name, he was born elsewhere and came to Paris. Where was Rogachevsky born? But in Ukraine. This allows me to just briefly mention that next week's episode will feature great singers of Ukrainian origin. I've been wanting to put this together, and it's a little complicated because there's such a wide range of singers, some of whom are considered Polish, many more of whom are considered Russian, but who were born or, at the very least, had roots in what is present-day Ukraine That was also the case with Rogachevsky. He came to Paris before World War I and volunteered in the French army. Thereafter, he enrolled at the conservatory and received high honors upon graduation, and thereafter was hired by the Opéra Comique and the Monet, where his career was centered. But in 1944, interestingly, he did sing the role of Don José at City Opera Opposite, another of my favorites, Jenny Turell. His voice is of such enormous sweetness, I have been a huge admirer ever since I first heard his voice. Gosh, that would have been back in maybe 1980 or so. So, this sequence of three discrete recordings will conclude with Joseph Rogachevsky singing O oh, Odolcimani. Oh, o Mani. No,
1: Cette grâce est sa première Et sa dernière Qu'entends-je
0: My dear friends, I'm so thrilled that you joined me today. This was a wonderful journey for me to take. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. I'm doing this last excerpt from Tosca a little bit out of sequence so that I can end the episode the way that it began, with a performance of Dar et Vissi Visidarte. But before we hear Visidarte, we're going to hear a little bit of the moments beforehand, in which Tosca and Scarpia are embroiled in this sexual power struggle. The Scarpia here is the American-born but exquisitely Frenchified baritone Arthur Andres, born in Chicago in 1893 and died in 1975. He was a protégé of both Jean de Reschke and Rinaldo Anne, with whom he recorded a number of Renaldo Anne's songs. His French diction is virtually flawless, and like Gabriel Baquier, he makes a very interesting character study of Scarpia, and gives him much more élan than Scarpia sometimes receives, really by virtue of his precise yet expressive diction. Tosca, in this recording, is none other than Nino Valin, appropriately enough. In this recording, we go up until the very point at which Tosca sings Visidarte, and then I am going to switch to a recording by possibly the greatest French dramatic soprano that ever lived, but also a singer who was, I submit to you, the most controversial French singer of all time, and that is Germaine Lubin. There were some very suspect connections with the invading Germans during the years of World War II. Lubin always protested that she had courted these favors only as a way of saving unfortunate colleagues who were being sought out by the Nazis She always maintained that it was jealousy of her colleagues and the fact that she, as she admitted herself, was not a very good colleague herself that led to these accusations and which brought on catastrophic repercussions after the war. For now, I am setting aside those questions and bask in her extraordinary voice and technique, as heard in this performance of visite
1: un bel amant seyez vous ma là et nous allons chercher ensemble semble comme le sauver. Voyons, cher chou chou Ensemble. Combien? Combien? La somme. Oui, l'homme divin. Peut-être est-ce vrai, mais pour une belle, je me perds de tout autre s'achève, là, les chapeaux se
3: dressent. À
1: ton Mario et par ta faute, il ne reste qu'une heure à vivre.
0: friends, keep the song in your hearts. Or should I perhaps say instead, Mes chers amis, gardez le chant dans vos cœurs. Me voici Daniel Gundlach. Which is how the French always pronounced my name. (laughs) Jusqu'à la semaine prochaine.